we've been in this for a few weeks, and in those first few weeks, you know, Paul's just, he spends a lot of time talking about, the, talking about the gospel. He spends a lot of time talking about how God's love is overwhelming and, and, and how big God is and how great His love is and, and how the gift of salvation is free and His love for you is free. You don't have to earn it. And He's, he's putting all of this out there, and, and, and it's just this powerful message. It's setting this foundation for this next part where we're kind of talking about what we need to do. And there was this moment for me, this was actually several years ago, um, when I was, um, I was reading through the book of Romans, another letter that Paul wrote. I was reading through this, and he's doing the same thing, except it's longer. This book is, the Romans like four or five times longer. And um, he's, he's talking about this over and over again. He's talking about this idea of grace, which is God giving you forgiveness for free. And he just talks about it and how great a thing it is. How being forgiven is so great and grace is so great and this free gift is so great. And, he just, and then, and then he, he's, he's talking about it, talking about it. He says, wait, 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 wait. Now, does this mean that you should sin more because the more you sin, the more grace you get? So he asks that question and then immediately answers, like, by no means, that's, that's not what I'm saying. So I read that, that's interesting, and I kept going. And then, like, later, it kind of hit me. Wait a second. This guy is talking about grace and goodness and the love of God so much that he had to remind his audience that it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Now, I don't know where you grew up going to church. Um, This is not a competition, but if it were, I would win. I went to church more than everybody, right? I went to church more than everybody. We all had keys to the church, and none of us were on staff. And what's a teenager doing with a key? Well, sometimes I had to open up, right? Sometimes I was the first one there. Sometimes I had to lock up. I was the backup janitor there for a little while. I mean, it was... So anyways, so we were there all the time. I've heard thousands of sermons there, thousands of Sunday school lessons and, 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 and things like that. And I never once got the impression from anything anyone ever said, ever, that I could do whatever I wanted. I mean, they said a lot of things, but they never even came close to implying, well, I don't, I, we don't want to get carried away here. This doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. That, that never had to be said. Because what was said very loudly was, don't have sex, don't drink alcohol, don't have sex, don't drink alcohol. You would think there were more topics, but there weren't. It was just a boom, 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 boom. In fact, it was the kind of thing where it's like you just talked so much about how you had to be at church and, 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 and sexual sins and sins of, of consumption and, 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 and tithing and giving and all of these things that you had to do that every now and then the pastor would have to go now. But that doesn't mean that you have to earn your relationship with God. It's the complete opposite. And to me, that was just kind of always the mindset. You work really hard, but that doesn't mean that it's free. That doesn't mean that you have to earn it. When Paul, he was so obsessed in the best way with the idea of, of, of God's overwhelming, gracious love that I'm guessing he had to remind himself and the people that he talked to often, hey, but that doesn't mean you can, be over, you can do whatever you want. And suddenly this idea came, like, maybe that's really more the, the God-honoring biblical perspective. That we should 
think about grace and the goodness and the free gift of God so much that we're having to remind ourselves. doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. And I've imagined, what would it be like? What would it be like to be a part of a church or, or to lead a church where, where we, we talk so much about that that we have to remind ourselves. We have to take one and say, hey, guys, just make sure we're all on the same page. doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. So, guys, here we are, Ephesians chapter 4. And we've been talking a lot, not just in this uh, series, but in a lot of series, about the overwhelming, unconditional love of God. And I want to make sure that you also understand this does not mean that we can do whatever we want. Um, and, and what, and what I was really been on my heart a lot lately is trying to balance a couple of different truths in tension. Because there's lots of things like this where you kind of have these these two different truths, and they're both true, but they seem to be opposed to each other, and I'm trying to keep them in balance. I think about this in my own life as my role as a parent. And as a parent, you may experience this, you may have experienced this with your parents or whatever. Like in in my goal, I tell this with dads for sure, that I think it should be the goal of a dad to, to be the fun one and the mean one. Right? You need to be both. Right? If you're just the fun one, then what you are is you're undermining your wife all the time and, and, and she resents you and it just doesn't go well. Right? If you're just the mean one, th- then your relationship with your kids is based on fear. But if, if I, you can figure out how to be both, how can I be the one when the time is, when it calls for it, can come in and be like, hey, 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 let's go, let's go out to eat maybe. Right? Let's go do something. Let's just, hey, why don't we go somewhere? Right? Let, you know, to kind of bring levity and, 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 and happiness to a situation that may be tense, right? And, and sometimes you just got to come in with the stick. It's a metaphorical stick. Don't call anybody. It's just a metaphor. You just got to come in and be like, hey, not cool. And you got to come in strong. Can you be the fun one and the mean one? You try that. Can we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can we believe that God loves you unconditionally and that God requires holiness from your life? Can you hold both of those things together? And here's the thing I'm afraid of. This is because so many of us are uh, uh, lazy. Huh? Right? We don't want to work that hard at it. We, well, the easiest thing to do is just to get rid of one of them. And so then I just focus exclusively on how God just loves me unconditionally, then it doesn't matter what I do. Or, like so many of us grew up, I focus so much on the list of things that God requires of me that I forget about how much He loves me. And so what we want to do is we want to be a place, and this is true for a lot of us, where we need to be healed from a background where we were so much focused on the rules that, that it hurt us, that it wounded us, and that we need someone to, to, to yell grace at us, to heal us. But at the same time, as we're kind of bringing balance, we don't want to go too far. And this is what Paul's done. This is what Paul's been doing in this section. He's been talking so much about the overwhelming love of God and, and the free gift of God. That it's now important for us, okay, now, now that we've established that as a foundation, let's talk about what you need to do. 
Ephesians 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Real quick, Gentiles is a a word that literally is talking about someone who's not a Jew. So the Jews were the ones that had the code, God's law as code, and lived by it. And Gentiles were people who weren't Jews. And so in, in, in this context, he's not just talking about people who aren't Jews, but really kind of in the context of people who don't live by the law and moral code that God has given, right? You cannot no longer live like that because these people were Gentiles, right, that he's talking to. But you can't live like this Gentile with someone who doesn't have God's moral code. You no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And what he's done here is he's painted what I think is a very vivid picture of what life apart from God is like. What does life apart from God mean? Well, the kind of the, the key for this means is he says that they are separated from the life of God. They are separated from life of God. You can have life with God, and they're separated from it. They're separated from it now, and if they continue on this path, they will be separated from life with God forever. So they are separated. Why why are they separated? Well, they're separated because their understanding about God is dark, because of ignorance that is in them. It's like they don't know. They live and they think like in such a way that they begin to believe that what they do doesn't matter. That if, I, if I like it, if it feels good, if it feels natural, it's fine, which is ignorant. That is not connected to life. And the way that you get there is through a hardening of the heart. Your heart gets hard, and you begin to believe that your actions don't have any real consequences, and the consequences they do are irrelevant, and I do what I want, and he describes this as ignorant, dark, and futile, which will just say dumb, dumb thinking, which is what it is. I mean, my actions have consequences in my relationship with God, in my relationship with people, and the condition of my very own soul. He said, but we got these people who are out there living like it doesn't matter. And because of that, he describes it as, well, then what happens is they just start doing all sorts of things. All kinds of sensuality and impurity. They're full of greed. They're doing all these things. And there comes a moment in, in hopefully all of our lives where the reality of that situation just kind of hits you. Wait. It's not good. My ignorance and the darkness of my heart has led me to a place that I know is not good. It is damaging to me. It's damaging my friendships, my, my family. It's, it's hurting me and God, and you become aware of that. And that's when you come here and we tell you about Jesus. That what Jesus did is he saw that situation, and rather than bringing more judgment and condemnation to it, brings healing and forgiveness through his death on the cross. That's what we get to tell you. And if that's who you are, if you read verse 17 through 19 and you think, I don't want to admit it out loud, but that would describe me. We offer you um, Jesus to consider 
who he is and what he did for you so that you might have, you would no longer be separated from the life of God, but have life with God. But that audience, the people who are still kind of there, that's not who Paul's talking to. Who Paul is talking to are a group of people who used to be like that and now know who Jesus is and are now, what they're doing is they're still living similarly to the way that they were before. And this is what he says, verse 17. I tell you this, he's like, I insist on it. You must no longer live this way. So his message to them and his message to us is you can't live like that anymore. You can't. You can't live like that anymore. You Just, just don't. I insist that you don't. It, it is not appropriate for someone having this relationship with God to then just kind of live like you did before you really knew who God was. It doesn't make any sense. And it's no good. It's damaging. It's hurtful. You can't do it. You can't do this anymore. And this is where it's important for us to kind of have this balance. Because you come here and we say this. We say this like, man, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you came with. It doesn't matter what sin you have. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your history or anything. Hey, we're telling you, you can come here and, it, and it's okay. It's okay. Now, when you say that to somebody, hey, it's okay. What, what do you mean? What do we mean when we say it? What do you mean when you say it? So you got a friendship. You got a, a marriage. You got a relationship with a kid, a parent, and they do something, or you say, you do it. You do something hurtful. And you go to them and you say, I'm, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And then they say, well, that's okay. What does that, that mean? Does that mean that the thing that you did was okay? No, you don't apologize for things that are okay. I'm sorry I was kind to you today. I'm sorry for that, that money I gave you. Sorry, sorry for being generous. You know, yeah. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't apologize for kindness. You apologize. The fact that you have to say you're sorry means that it's not okay. The thing that you did, it's not okay. When you say to someone who is asking for your forgiveness, it's okay, what you're saying is, we're okay. We're okay. I'm no longer going to hold the obvious bad thing that you did against you. It's, it's okay. And so when we tell you, Hey, no matter what your background, we say, hey, it's okay. It's not that the thing that you're doing is okay. I'm just, we're telling you, relationally, we can be okay. We're fine with you. And God can be if you'll accept His forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. It can be okay. It can be okay. But that doesn't make it Okay. And we need to make sure that we're clear on that because if we hear, if you say it too many times, then what you can begin to do is what we'll just, a, a phrase we can use is you begin to cheapen the idea of grace. And the first time I experienced this was in, I was, I was in fourth grade. And, um, and, and I made this friend, and I guess it was, I'm trying to think, it was third grade. And um, this guy, he was, his, he was uh, his dad was the pastor of a church that was right across the street from the elementary school. And so he lived right, right across the street. And um, I remember at way, you know, I spent the night at his house once. It was kind of weird and cool because you know, their, their house was connected to the church and we're hanging out in the, in the sanctuary. It's kind of 
playing, which I, which I knew wasn't okay because of everything I'd learned at church. And, uh, and then he said, in third grade, he said the D word. And I'm telling you, this Baptist man, he was, I'm just like, I'd never heard that in my life. I don't know how I knew it was bad if I'd never heard it in my life, but I'm just like, why did you, what? And he goes, man, it's no big deal. I'm like, hmm. It's a big deal. You don't understand how it works. How it works is you say and do whatever you want all day. And at the end of the night, you tell God you're sorry, and it's fine. Like he figured out some loophole to the whole system. (laughs) My my theology wasn't deep at nine. Um, I knew that wasn't right. Man, there's some of us living like that kid, aren't there? Let's just be honest, aren't there? Some of us who have just decided that, God, I'm sorry, is just kind of this cheap, easy thing that you can say to essentially justify anything that you want to do in your life. And we cheapen and we minimize the relationship. You would never do that to your spouse to a friend, and if you did, after a while, you would have neither the spouse nor the friend. This, this, that's not what a relationship is. And what God says, this is, we can't live like this anymore. And here's the thing that I know. I say that. I say it, right? I say this. You can't live like that anymore. And here's, here, here's, here's what you're doing right now. Or what? Right? Or what? What's, what's going to happen? Now, if you'll give me a minute, if you'll indulge me for a minute, I will answer that question. I will answer the or what question. But here's the thing that I would like to acknowledge first. If someone says that relationally this is what is required of you and your response to that is to say or what, there's something wrong with you. Or there's something wrong with the relationship. Or likely both. If you're making moral calculations based on whether or not the consequence outweighs the crime, you've got a problem that you need to work on, and obviously you don't value the relationship enough. Let me just say what I mean. In my relationship with my wife, there are things that are required of me. Unconditional sacrificial love on my part is required of me. Intimacy is required of me. Faithfulness is required of me. These are things that are required of me in this relationship. Or what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It is what is required of me for this relationship. This is who I have to be to maintain this relationship. This is my responsibility in this relationship. I want to have a good relationship with her. This is what I do. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. It it, it is immature on my part to even consider the consequences. It is just the right thing for me to do in the context of this relationship. And in the context of your relationship with God, this is what is required of us to live a certain way, to live according to the way that the God of the universe tells us we should live. There's something wrong. The, the love there between you and God is not where it should be. Or again, you're still living in a darkened, futility, hardness of heart kind of way. But if we need to answer the question, or what? Well, 
it will continue it will do the thing that it did before you knew Jesus. It will damage your relationships with other people. It will damage your relationship with God and it will destroy slowly your very own soul. So if you need a if you need a significant consequence, we'll just can we agree that soul destruction is is that's pretty, that's pretty good enough, right? That's big. But we're so used to the guilt and shame that sometimes that comes that if you don't do this, God's going to be mad. If you don't do this, God's going to not forgive you again. God's going to kick you out. God's going to this. God's going to that. And, and punishment and guilt and shame, those are the only motivators that you remove those. And you're like, well, then what's the point? Well, the point is the relationship. The point is your own spiritual and personal health. When the God of the universe says this is where life is, and he's the God of the universe, he's the one that designed it, you say, yeah, that's absolutely. It's, it's smart, it's good, it's right, it's necessary. That's, there's all the or what's that we need. And we need to get to a place where we can remove shame and condemnation and still end up living lives that honor God. And so he describes it this way. He describes these people, you know, they, they, they're dark in their hearts and, they, and they're impure and they're full of greed and you can't live like that anymore. And in verse 20 he continues to kind of describe then what we do need to do and be. Verse 20, that thing we just talked about, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. No, you don't get to be that. Don't be that person anymore. Put that off. Because it's corrupted by deceitful desires. Instead, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's talking about righteousness, being right, doing the right thing, holiness, living a a pure life that separates yourself from from the world that just kind of does whatever. He's talking about doing that. And and, and basically what he's describing here, nowhere in there is there a command, like a don't do this, you should do this. There's nothing in there about any of that. All he's really talking about is attitude. He's talking about taking off an old self, putting on a new self, having a different kind of attitude. because, Because here's what we need to say, that godliness... Is, is first about your heart. It's about what happens inside you first. Good character and good behavior flow out of a good heart. Bad behavior, bad character flow out of a bad heart. And so what Paul's not saying, God did all these awesome things, now you go follow the lists. Say, so God did all these awesome things, now let's work up on your heart, and then out of your heart something else will happen. And so he's describing this, and he's describing that he described this in the first few chapters. It's described all throughout the New Testament. This idea of you take off this old person, and this old person has to die, and then a new person comes, and your heart and your mind are transformed. And if I say that to you, it's like, now that's the key. The key for you to live and be the people that God has called you to be means you need to, your old self needs to die, you need to become somebody completely different, and your heart needs to transform. You should feel completely and totally overwhelmed by that because you are incapable of doing any of that. It's just not on your list of things to do. You can't. 
Transform your heart right now. I don't even know, I don't even, I don't even know where, where to begin with that. Which is why it was important in sit, walk, stand, the, the sit part. Because what we talked about over and over with, what Paul said was, you are trying to rely on your own strength and ability, and, the thing, and your strength and ability is limited. God riches, God's riches and God's power are unlimited. And you have access to everything there. And then it says, you were dead, but God can make you alive. And that this is something that God can do, and it is something that God will do if you will let him. And so he is re-emphasizing here that our first, most foundational piece is, I have to remember that God is big, I can't overestimate myself, and I need to let God do this thing in my heart. I, I want God to do it. So I need, I need to learn how to trust him. I need to learn how to trust God, and I need to learn how to make his voice and his presence in my life, I need to make it larger. Right now it's small. I need to get bigger. Because if, if the only way that I can be the right kind of person is to have a new heart, and I'm incapable of making a new heart, then the only thing that I can do is trust and put my faith in the one who can do it. So what does it mean then to make God's voice louder? That's why we do this. We come together, we see what God's word has to say, we talk about it, we talk about ways that we can apply it, and God's voice gets louder. It's why you need to read the Bible on your own. It's why you need to pray on your own. It's why you need to, um, it's why you need to be in a small group and interact with other people. We need to be talking about these things so that God's voice gets loud and He can do this work of transforming us from the inside. Because too many of us are doing this thing that doesn't ever work, which some people call fake it till you make it. It doesn't work. It's not real. You can build a habit by doing something over and over again. But you doing something that is the right thing, you do it over and over and over again, it's not going to change your heart. And you pretending to do something good that you don't really want to do has an expiration date. And mine was about three months after I moved out of the house. Freshman year of college lasted till about November. And then suddenly, I wanted to be somebody completely different. 18 years, 19 years of being the right person, doing the right things, and following all the rules. And suddenly, without just quite that same like heavy, oppressive thing, it's was like, well, this is ridiculous, and this isn't what I want to do. And so then you just begin to live life very, very differently. It doesn't work. What works is God in me, being loud, and strong, and a powerful presence in my life. And so, once we understand that, then we can come back here, and now Paul begins to tell us specifically some of the things that we need to do. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Some of these are going to be really hard. There's just like a free one right there. Stop stealing things, right? Just If you're stealing things, stop. I think you, you're even capable of that, even without a transformed heart. Stop, right? Maybe. Uh, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, godliness is first about your heart and then about your actions. Because even the list of action items, honestly, I'm just going to lie to you, I'm overwhelmed by them. Stop being angry. Like, how? Not the way you drive. You guys are trying to make me angry. Always cutting me off. You turn in left. You don't know how to turn left. And you try to hit me. I'm like, leave me. What are you doing? And, 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 and you cut. it's like, it's just, it's just, like the world is designed to make me. How am I going to be angry? I don't even know. How am I going to stop lying? And by lying, I mean those 15 to 20 small lies that you tell every day to avoid conflict with the people around you. How are you going to stop that? I don't know. But I do know this is required of me. Oh, wait. We just talked about it. The only way that anger is going to get removed from my heart, fear and anxiety are going to get removed from my heart, deception is going to get removed from my life, is that God's going to have to transform my heart. And so if I want to be this kind of person, I want to be the person that God has called me to be, I want to live the life that is required of me to have a healthy relationship with God, I'm going to have to start first and foremost that I trust fully in God. I trust Him. I trust Him, then I let Him do the work in me that He said He will do. And then just be better. Just be better. Just try. Just work. Just do it. Put the guilt aside. Put the shame aside. Put all the the baggage that we bring in. Put that aside and just let God do the work in you and then go live and be who God's called you to be. It is time for us to, 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 we need to stop settling. We're settling for ordinary. We're settling for okay. We're settling for, I guess that's okay. I guess it's good enough. I don't know. When, when life is in our grasp. I understand the gospel. I understand the free, awesome gift that God has given me. And I'm going to let him do that work. And now I'm going to live a life like Mark talked about last week, worthy of that gift. Because this is what this relationship requires of me. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is who I am meant to be. This is who I'm going to be. And honestly, guys, this is who I want to be. And if you could tell me right now that for, for, for reals, Anger could be gone from my life. Bitterness, jealousy, greed, impurity, deception. I could be free from those things. That's what I want. So as we move into a time of worship and reflection, let's be honest. There's some things popped up just in that list, and you got your own list. Some things where you're just honestly, you're just falling short of who it is that God's called you to be. And let's just try a different pattern. 
rather than allowing guilt and shame and condemnation to overwhelm us, to then where we get so discouraged that nothing gets better. We take it. You're right, God. Those are things that are on the list that I need to do. There's some things I'm, I'm not doing that, that I don't need to do, and there's things I should be doing that I need to not do the don'ts and do the do's. And I've got the list. I'm not going to surrender to shame, guilt, but I'm going to learn what it means to trust and let you do this work, and then I'm going to be better. There's some people, as prayer teams going to be back there. They would love to pray with you. Man, if there's ever a time, man, you just feel like, man, I want the window for God to be in my life. I want that to be more open. That's a great way to do it. Let somebody else pray for you. There's also places back there for your own personal kind of private reflection, praying at the cross, communion, uh, prayer candles, just opportunities for you to just kind of start this hard work with God, to kind of let Him just kind of draw out the things in your life that need to be done away with, the things in your life that need to be added in, and, and, and giving Him that window to speak and to change you, to give you the power and the strength that you need to overcome. We also have an opportunity to give. The ushers will be coming in a few minutes. The way to respond back and love and give back to a God who's given us so much. We also are going to continue to worship. I just encourage you. I beg you. Let's just figure it out together, individually and together. Figure out what it was mean. How can we be the kind of people who are fully convinced of the unconditional love and relationship that we have with God and that God requires a different life from me than the one that I'm living. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for giving us this opportunity to be a church that just is always talking about the grace and goodness and free gift that comes from your son, Jesus Christ. And the God that you are helping each one of us understand your gospel deeper and deeper every day. And God, I pray that we would never be the kind of people who would ever for one minute try to take advantage of that. But God, that we would live lives that honor you, that show love to each other, and that God can bring health and life to our very own souls. And so God, I do. I pray that you would help us work that out in balance. And God, I pray for those here who still, just to be honest, don't understand the gospel at all. That you would give them life with you today. And we thank for your your son who makes all that possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.